This is the Conduit Church Podcast. It is our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us. Thanks for joining us for this week's teaching. First John chapter five, I'm just gonna read verses 18 through 21 to show you that you and I, this is what John is saying, you and I are born of God. He says, verse 18, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps them safe, speaking of Jesus, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know, verse 19, that we are the children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We also know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourself from idols. That's God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are seeking tonight your word, your wisdom, your message for us. This ancient book is so relevant because our hearts are ancient. We are humans that have been created by you, designed by you, so it should come of no surprise that this Bible, which is written by you, speaks directly to us and is just as relevant as the day it was written. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. So call my dad. He'll know what to do. That's literally what prayer is. I'm calling my dad, my heavenly father. And the sweeping language of 1 John is about a new identity. It's about your relationship. It's about my relationship with God. And he uses the sentence here, born of God. And you might remember it was John, right? By the Holy Spirit that recounted the words of Jesus to a man named Nicodemus, that you must be born again. Unless a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus asked the right question. Well, how do I get back in there? Like climb in the top? Like what, do you cut her head off and push me down? How do I get, how do I become born again? I've already been born once. And Jesus spoke of not just a physical birth, but of a spiritual birth, a transformation and a new identity. And you could take a picture of this and read it later. We won't have time to go into each one of them. But the fact of the matter is, is that whatever identity that you have from the father, this is what it means. Like I'm Darren, son of Clarence, okay? And Darren, son of Clarence from the small little rural towns of Nebraska, uh, it meant something. My name meant something. You know what it meant? We were white trash. And you might think, are you being funny? No, like that's just, just who we are. Like if my dad keeps more furniture in the front yard than we had in the house. <laughs> and you think I'm kidding. <laughs> We used to play this game. Remember, this is Darren after dark. Um, we used to play this game. This is a true story, Darren. We would go through the, the back roads of Nebraska, Kansas, Missouri, and we would, I can't believe I'm saying this. We, play, we were kids. We played white trash bingo. And what that meant was you, was, you were looking for furniture on front porches to try to complete a, like a living room set. Like if you got a bathroom, so there's a toilet. It's not hooked up to anything. Uh, there's a sink. Okay, so bingo, like I got a bathroom. Uh, and it was like bonus rounds. If you could furnish an entire house by the time you got to Branson, just with pictures, I, this is terrible. But these are my people. Like I've, 
You know what I mean? So I can say this. But that was my identity. My identity meant that we were scrappy. My identity, a friend of mine once goes like, uh, Tyler, this was at the very beginning of COVID when we were looking to get the pitchforks and the torches and go downtown. You know what I'm saying? And he looks at me, he's like, Tyler, are you a hillbilly? Because you're a fighter. I'm like, no, 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 I'm white trash. It's totally, it's the same, but just without the romance and without PR. Like the hillbilly's got good PR and moonshine. We don't have any of that. We just, we, we need a better PR. But we were just scrappy because that's what it meant to be born a Tyler. But that's not what it means anymore because I am a new creation, right? I am, a, old things passed away. Now I'm a little scrappy, a little nimble still. God is still working on some things, for instance, my language. But he is working. It's like, I'll get to the language. You got a way bigger problem than that right now. We'll get around to that. But the point is, is that I'm no longer who I was and neither are you when you're in Christ. And you can have one of two identities. You can be born of God, or as John tells us here, you can be controlled by the evil one. I choose this all day long, free, accepted, adopted, alive, united. That's my identity in Christ. It's your identity in Christ. And your identity affects your behavior. It affects your heart. It affects the way you think. Whatever your identity is, that's how you are going to be as a person. And that's why God says, like, I got to get you out of there, Darren. I gotta, you're a new creation. We're going to get you, your heart, your body, your mind, all are going to be transformed by the power of the gospel. That's what the promise is of 1 John 5. He is coming to the end of this letter. It is 60 plus years at least since Jesus has ascended. Right, verse 13, he's saying, I'm writing this so that you know that you've got eternal life, that you don't stop believing. And if you don't stop believing, if you hold on to that relationship with Christ, that your body, your mind, your heart are going to be transformed because you've got a new identity. When I say body, what do I mean? What does Romans 12 tell us, right? Offer your body as a living sacrifice. And he says here, we know anyone here that is born of God does not continue to sin. Now I've consulted with multiple commentaries from multiple different jet streams of Christianity. Warren Wearsby, Chuck Smith, right? Uh, uh, Michael Easley, like I'm just, I'm just all these theologians, because I want to make sure, like, am I reading this right or wrong? And the answer is, it doesn't mean that you're not going to sin anymore. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is you're not going to continue in sin in the same way. Your body is now the temple of the Holy Spirit. So you're going to fail. You're going to make mistakes because all have sinned, all have fallen short, but your sin is sinning forward, not backwards because it's less tomorrow than it is today. The next day it's going to be a little bit less. I love Bob Goff's when, uh, statement when he says that, I just want to wake up tomorrow and be the next most humble version of Bob. That's what it means to be sanctified, to be transformed in your body because your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit and your body can be used for things that are glorifying to God or things that are gonna destroy your life. Now he talks here at the very end in verse 21 when he says, keep yourself from idols. That's not an add-on, it's not a P.S. It's not a, oh, I forgot to say this, so I'm going to add it on there. It isn't just some last minute thought. It's the thought. Because idolatry, which we're going to talk about tonight, is what will control your identity. 
Okay? If you are worshiping God, if you are Romans 12:1, right, offering your body as a living sacrifice, he is going to shape you, and that is a living sacrifice. But the idols that he speaks of, the idolatry that he is talking about, demands a sacrifice as well. But it won't be a living one. It's going to be a dead one. Because if I'm offering my body as a sacrifice to anything but God, that is going to shape me. It's going to shape my body, my heart, and my mind. And ultimately, it's going to crush and destroy me. The body itself is what God is that I'm going to make my home in until I come back. And until then, we get a chance to worship him with our bodies. We get to not just abstain from, but participate in what the kingdom of God is on earth through our bodies. Now, is it any surprise... Is it any shock that part of the national religion that we have right now is about our identity specifically in our bodies? Is it any surprise that the same first attack in the garden, right, the serpent did God really say, God's holding out on you in your body. You should eat of this fruit because God is holding out on you. You could be just like him. Now, what's the irony of that? They already were. God wasn't holding out anything on them, but they used their body as a sacrifice, not to God, but to an idol, this serpent. And to this day, using our bodies, it's one of the first victims when we make something besides God our ultimate. And it's probably a good idea right now to quickly just let's define a couple terms. First, let's define worship because we're modern people. We're sophisticated. We're intelligent. Of course, we don't have little stone statues. We don't have little trinkets. We don't worship gods because we're sophisticated, right? We wouldn't do that with our bodies. But the fact of the matter is, <laughs> worshiping doesn't just mean a little statue in the corner. Romans 12.1 tells us that worship means, back to Romans 12.1, that you would offer your life as a sacrifice to this. So did we sing we were worshiping with our bodies? Yes. But it's deeper than that. Anything that you will sacrifice your life for, offer your body as a sacrifice to, that is what worship actually means. And we as humans are wired to worship. We as humans are going to worship something, whether we know it or not, whether we can see it or not. And we know what it is based upon whether or not it is we are offering our bodies to it. And the second thing I want to clarify is what does it mean? What is an idol at the end of the day? If it's not some little trinket that we put on the fireplace... Tim Keller makes a case that the best definition for an idol is anything that we make ultimate in our lives that is not God. Anything that we set our affections on more than God, which means a good thing, right? Made an ultimate thing is still an idol. Your career can be an idol if you make it your ultimate thing. Anything, including a good thing. So do you, does this make sense? So worshiping is offering your life to it. An idol is anything, including a good thing that I am making ultimate in my life besides God. Now, back to the body. Have you ever read a book called The Body Keeps the Score? It's a great, it's fascinating. And if you've ever been dealing with mystery illness, highly, highly recommend that you read it. Because what science has shown us 
is that when we hold on to stuff in our hearts and in our minds, they don't use the word around idolatry because I don't even think this is a Christian, but that's what she is identifying, the author of this book, that when it brings something uh, that I'm holding as ultimate besides God, it brings anxiety, it brings stress, it brings depression, the trauma that some of us have experienced in our lives, even that can be an idol because now it becomes my meaning and my purpose and I'm holding on to it. But what the body does is keep the score. And what they're saying is that there are many physical sicknesses, physical ailments that happen because we've held on to emotional trauma, emotional anxiety in our lives. And if we will just let go of the idolatry of whatever it is that we're worshiping besides God, it sets us on a path, not only to emotional, but to our bodies being healed. And in our bodies, that's on the ground level. When you go to the national level and think, okay, the national religion right now of identity, right, is our national religion the entire ideology of transgenderism is an ideology that demands that you offer your body as a sacrifice to the ideology. You're gonna cut off parts of it. You're gonna sew new parts onto it in this attempt to thwart God's design for you. And it's destroying the bodies of little children, of teenagers, of grown people around the world in the name of an identity. Now you might think that's not a religion. Here's how you know it's a religion. Here's how you know what the state religion, do you know this, Grayson? Here's how you know the religion of any country. What are the blasphemy laws? What am I not allowed to say? If I go to Pakistan, I am, it is illegal for me to say that Allah is not good. It is illegal for me to disparage the Quran because that is the blasphemy laws in Pakistan. The blasphemy laws in our nation say that I can't say that a man can have a baby or can't have a baby. I can't say that a man can't menstruate. I can't say that a woman, well, there's a word I can't say because there's children. But point being that I can't say that because the, the identity laws built around that will not allow to say that. Now we might not have yet laws that I can't say that in church. Those laws are probably coming. But we do know that in workplaces, we do know that in most places around here that you are, is literally illegal in many cases to say that in workplaces. That's why I say this is our national religion because I can't say something scientific because it's illegal, because it's a blasphemy law in our country. So my point being, that's what it means to offer your body as a sacrifice to a religion. And you and I in our own day-to-day -day lives, have a decision to make. It's easy to talk about when it comes like in this grand level as far as like our, our culture and our nation, but let's bring it back to the, to the ground level with us. If your idolatry happens to be that you're holding your work, say for instance, it's your career, and this is the most important ultimate thing in your life, is a career a problem? No. But if it becomes your ultimate, you're gonna drive your body into the ground. You're gonna literally run yourself to a place where you're eventually gonna to come to the end yourself, exhaust yourself, make yourself physically sick. And that's not what God has called you to do. That's not what your body is meant for. Any sacrifice made to any idol besides Jesus requires you to die. Jesus' request, invitation from Romans 12 is that our sacrifice is one to live. So in our bodies, our identity is 100% affected 
in how our body and our behaviors are. And we won't go to that. We'll go to this next, just for time. Your heart. Your identity affects your body, your behavior, right? And it affects your heart. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Now, I had to read that a few times. I was praying about it. I was pondering it and thinking, man, what is he saying here? Like that we're, we know that we're children of God and the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Like what, there's something, it's on the surface, it seems like uh, you're, everybody's bad and we're good, right? That, doesn't that seem like to be the surface? But that's not what he said there. He said there that the whole world is not evil. The whole world is under the control of the evil one. That is not a small distinction. And why it's important is when I know that in my heart that someone that is maybe passionately, adamantly opposed to me, including many people that I've encountered in nations that would rather kill us because we're Christians, they are not the enemy. They are under the control of the enemy. They're hostages. And in no war do you shoot the hostages. Hostages aren't shot, they're set free. Our job, our honor, our privilege is to preach, to release the captives from lies that enslave them, from religions that enslave them. Someone asked me, a a Jewish friend of mine, we were at NRB this week. I hadn't been to NRB in a while. I don't know that I'll go back, but I if you don't even know what it is, it doesn't matter. I'm, but I'm talking with one of my friends and he's very concerned about conversions. Like, do you try to convert Muslims anywhere else you go? I'm like, well, we don't try to convert anybody. We preach the good news. God is the one that's gonna convert and draw. But the answer in no short order is, yeah, if you are in a religion that teaches you that you're a piece of property as a woman, if you're in a religion that says that the only way that you're ever gonna get out of here alive is to either commit jihad and be martyred or to be so perfect that you can make your way in, wouldn't it be great to be set free from that lie, right? And some people, especially in our culture, we get uncomfortable because, well, we're supposed to love everybody and if it hurts their feelings, it's gonna... We can't say it because it's going to hurt them. But we have two jobs. Jesus did say, love your neighbors, 100%. And 2 Corinthians 10, 5 says that we are supposed to destroy the lies that enslave people. It is loving to expose the lies, to destroy, to dismantle the lies that enslave people. That is not unloving. It's the most loving thing that we can do. And maybe like you, sometimes when people tells me, tell me the truth, I don't want to hear it at first because I don't like it, but it doesn't mean it's not true. And our heart, whatever we're setting our affections on, whatever, how do I say this right? You'd think by the third service, I'd have this down, right? Here's the thing. This is not an intellectual thing with an idol. It's an emotional thing. That's why it's hard. What does he say here? We are children of God. There's a relationship with our affections on a father. And again, we think we're sophisticated, right? We don't have any idols because we're intellectually, we're too smart. But you understand that an idol is not an attachment to your head. It's an attachment to your heart. One of the things that Matala spoke of, if you remember, was people in villages who have names that are named after gods. So we, we come to America, we got Bethesda, College Grove, right? These towns, Chapel Hill, Columbia, Spring Hill. We have little towns, but in most of history and in most of the world today, it's not towns, it's tribes. 
And especially when you get into the North and West Africa and this tribe, your name is attached to a God and the God is the God of your tribe. And it's the way that you know that you're a part of that tribe because your God is now attached to your name and your name is now attached to your heart and your heart is affected by the God that you are named after. And the job of Jesus' people in West and North Africa is to free them from the trap of the lies of the gods that aren't even real and aren't even true. I love the way that Jeremiah talks about it in Jeremiah 10. He says, you guys take a tree, you cut down the tree, half of it you make an idol with, the other half you make dinner with. Do you see? And he's making fun of them. He's saying, it's a tree. It can't talk to you. It can't love you. But he goes on to say though, but it still has a demonic control over you. And the demonic control over you has nothing to do with the idol in front of you, but the spirit underneath of it, attaching it to your heart. And one of the things that is so important to know, if whatever idol it is, right? If it's identity, if it's success, I mean, God will reveal to you, but and I, I don't know, I feel like it's just like a lifelong journey. Like I, I get rid of this one and I got a new one and here's another one, another one popped up over here. But the journey is right of being set free from idols of our whole lives because they keep coming back. But in his context here, when he's talking about in Jeremiah saying, there's still a demonic oppression behind it. It can't save you. But more than that, and this is why, this is about a heart moment here. It not only can't save you, it can't forgive you. When you sin against the idol, there is no grace, there is no forgiveness. And you know this and I know this, in our cancel culture, that's what it is. You have sinned against an idol, an idolatry. It cannot forgive you, it can only punish you. It's what happened to J.K. Rowling, the author of Harry Potter. Now, I don't, did you guys burn her books in the 90s? That was after mine. We'd already burned our CDs in the 80s. So we were done burning stuff by then. But I know some people burned her books. But you know what's happening today? People are burning Harry Potter books. But they're not Christians. They're progressive, secular ideologues. ideologues. Because... J.K. Rowling said, no, keeping in mind, J.K. Rowling, she's not a Christian, right? And I would suggest to you, based upon reading her interviews over the years, that she is not only not a Christian, she has an idol of identity. She's a feminist. That's what she would refer to herself as, as her identity. Is it good for women to have rights? Is it good for women to be treated? Yeah, 100%. But there's an idolatry that happens in feminism because it's once again an identity politic, right? It's an identity. So that's her, so to speak, religion. She sinned against her religion. She sinned against her idol. And what happened? They burned her books. They canceled her. She could barely get any attention. Like they're right now, they're trying to figure out, can Warner Brothers uncancel JK Rowling? Warner Brothers is in the tank. By the way, the other idol of our country, what? Money. So now you got two idols competing. Like, well, if we got to feed this idol. We got to get rid of this other idol. But the entire premise of this piece was that how do you uncancel somebody because they can't forgive her? She's going to have a scarlet letter on her for the rest of her life from the secular progressive ideology, identity, religion, because she sinned against it and it can't forgive her. If you remember, it was just a couple of years ago 
that the three main stars of, Scotty, I don't know if you remember this or not, but the three main stars of Harry Potter like denounced this horrible, horrible woman. And her great sin was to say that a man dressed as a woman competing against other women in swimming is not fair, that that is the opposite of feminism. And she was called a transphobe. She has, people were trying to, she literally had to hire security that people wanted her dead because she violated the blasphemy laws of that religion. Your heart, any affection that it is set on besides Christ is something that can't love you, can't forgive you, can't save you. And then the last thing is the mind. We know that the son of God has come has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Your body, whatever you're worshiping is gonna affect your body, your mind, right? Is this, it, whatever I'm worshiping is gonna be affected by my mind. What does Romans 12 say? We keep going back and forth, right? Romans 12, offer yourselves a living sacrifice, holy, pleasing, acceptable unto you, right? Do not be conformed any longer to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I don't believe these are sequential, by the way, one, two, three, in an order. I think these are all three simultaneously uh, being attained in our walk with Christ. But your mind is 100% affected by whatever it is that you are worshiping. Keep yourself from idols because it's gonna warp the way you think. How do we know this? Just this week, anybody watch the news unfolding with Google releasing their new Gemini? Whoops. Now, look, what were they attempting, right? Which is to say that diversity is a good thing. That is not an untrue thing. Like diversity, respecting people of all skin colors, nationalities, that, that, that's, the, that's literally the gospel. Every nation, tribe, and tongue, right? The entire Great Commission, that's how much God values it. God values it so much that even like in the NIV version, I know the, the nearly inspired version that I use, he actually uses the word children of God in there. That's what the NIV translators, but it wasn't it. He said sons of God. Now that sounds misogynistic, doesn't it? It does, unless it's 2,000 years ago, and you were a female who had no rights, you were considered like a dog, you were considered property. In Galatians, Paul says, but in Christ, there is no male or female. In Christ, he's saying that you all, male and female, get the same exact inheritance as a son, as the firstborn son. So you can neuter it, right, the NIV did, but you lose the potency of what, I mean, you talk about controversial. He was saying to them that, no, no, you're a woman, you get the same as the kingdom of God, right? So it affects your mind in a way that it changes the way that you even think. They didn't think that way at all in ancient Rome. They didn't think that way in Jewish culture. He was blowing the lid off of it. So is it good? Yeah, it's amazing to want diversity. But what did Google do? See, truth wasn't at the top of their priority. God is not who they worship. They worship identity. So they put a filter in between. If I were to say, create an image of our founding fathers to create an image of Nazi German, uh, Nazis in Germany, and these are all easily findable right now. What did Google Gemini do? 
because it was coded and designed with a religion in mind. It was bringing up pictures of Nazis who were black. It, it could, literally, it could. In fact, they had to take it offline and apologize for it later because they were like, oh, this is really, what I'm getting at is, because, this is why it's undermined, is that if your idol is about identity and not truth, you will lie about history because the truth is not as important as the identity. And the fact of the matter is the truth is that God wants every identity into heaven because they're all the same identity, which is sons of God. And we know also that the son of God has come and he has given us understanding. That's who's gonna get us. And he's gonna be the one that's gonna change, renew our minds. And because our minds are renewed, we're transforming in our behavior. And because our behavior and our bodies are different, our hearts are different, it's a new identity. And we get to live out of that identity. Now, for those of us in America, those of us in Middle Tennessee, what do we do? Everybody in this room has walked in. Either you already know what your idol is, idols are, or you're about to find out as God reveals them to you, what do you do with them? See, I'm from the background of uh, the hellfire and brimstone. And so you hear idolatry and you think it's time for the guy with the suit and tie, who's a little sweaty and he's got the hanky, to yell at me and to, but, but why, is it that, why is it that God is so angry about idols? He's not angry at you, he's angry for you because idols will destroy you. That's what Deuteronomy 32, he's talking about idolatry there. And he says this, he actually uses the same word as what is used in Ecclesiastes for vapor because they're nothing. You can't serve them, they can't love you. And when you are in idolatry like this, your heart, your mind, and your body, not only are you harming yourself, you're harming everybody around you. That's why God hates idols. It's not trying to be a cosmic buzzkill. He hates them because they kill you. They steal from you. They destroy you. And so what do we do with them? Yeah, we repent. But Genesis 35 gives us a, a beautiful picture of what you can do tonight with whatever it is that God reveals that, man, I've made this ultimate in my life and I need to repent of it. It's the story of Jacob. By this point, it was just the, the chapter right before where Jacob's sister had been assaulted. And so Jacob, uh, his sons decided, uh, this is actually a fascinating story. How many kids do you got? Okay, I'm gonna do it. It's PG-13, right? Jacob's sons decide to trick these guys into get, everybody getting circumcised. And while they're circumcised, uh, the day after, I mean, these are grown men. They're walking a little slower. Do you know what I'm saying? And Jacob's sons use this as an opportunity to murder everybody in this village, right? To get revenge on their sister and literally blew up Jacob's life. It was not God's will. It was not what he had intended. They had to escape. But the chapter right before that, you see, Rachel, when they were leaving her father's house, she did what? She stole the idols. She stole the foreign gods from her father's house and brought them with her. 
And what we find out in this passage is it wasn't just Rachel, it was everybody. So with that many idols in the midst, it was affecting their heart, their mind, and their body, their decisions, their affections, their choices were destroyed because of the idols in their camp. And God told them, told Jacob, you gotta get rid of them. What does he say? It's verse two, Jacob said to his household, to all who are with him, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves, change your clothes, then, Come, let us go up to Bethel, where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me everywhere I have gone. Verse four, so they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had and the rings in their ears and Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. Do you see what's happening here? Do you see this amazing picture of the gospel in the Old Testament? God hates the idolatry. He hates what it's doing in their lives. But he doesn't say to Jacob, you're canceled. He doesn't say to Jacob, no, you've got to wear the scarlet letter because you're a conniving, murdering. No, he says, go Bethel, the house of God. It was the original place where he had wrestled with God. And what do you do there? You take the idols and you bury them under a tree. In the Old Testament, when you see a tree, it's almost always a picture of the cross. Always. Take your idols and put them under the tree. And immediately after that, God changes Jacob's name to Israel. He gets a new identity because his idols are no longer gone there. He's no longer identified by the idols. He's now going to be identified as one who not wrestles with idols, but one who wrestles with God. You and I, whatever those are in our lives, and I, I'm 53, I'm well over a half of a century. I'm at the age where my son is now wearing the same exact kinds of clothes I was wearing when I was 20. 30 years ago, okay? Entire clothing, they've come and gone, styles, and back again. Like, it's been that long. And I've had a few moments where I, I wouldn't have even known it was idolatry. For me, it was career at one point. And you know how I know it was an idol for me? That when my career was taken from me, I'd lost my identity. I was in the music business. I was the white trash kid. Somebody answered the phone, Darren Tyler's office. Are you kidding me? So I would have my mom call me just so she could hear somebody say that. I would have my dad, but he doesn't use the phone. <laughs> he had a cell phone for like a month and he realized people could call him. He's like, wait a minute. That's not what I want at all. So he got rid of it. I was the guy. I was the guy. It was this identity in my life. My, my wife, we were having the, you know, a fascinating life together and I mean, honestly, I'd love to take credit for it, but I just ended up in this job, but I began to take this so seriously without even knowing it that it became my identity. And so when it was taken from me, and I say taken, meaning I became a pastor. So it wasn't like someone walked in and stole it from me. I'd made this decision with Shannon. We were obeying God. But for the first two years of being a pastor, true story, when I was on an airplane flying someplace and they said, what do you do for a living? I said, I'm not proud of this, Jeremy. I'm the president of a nonprofit. I was too embarrassed to say pastor. It wasn't cool at all. 
It was so much better to say I was a rock and roll manager. People would always say things like, so you're, you're managed, that must be the coolest job in the world. That's gotta be so awesome. Now, by the way, it wasn't that great. I'm not gonna lie to you. But it sounded great on paper. And when it was gone from me, I realized that I had an idol in my identity, in my career. And in my mind, in my body, in my heart, it affected everything. I neglected my family. I was gone a lot. I went out to try to do this thing and my family was alone and I'm in a bus. And, and my wife, is, she's such a great, dutiful, Midwestern, stiff upper lip. You know, oh no, you gotta do that. I understand. She always understands. And she does, by the way. But part of my calling was to recognize that she might understand and I still need to stay home because she's more important than my career. But my career became an idol and I damaged my family because of it. So I get into ministry. Phew, no more idols, right? <laughs> oh, buddy. Remember when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 that you can literally expend your life on behalf of the poor, but if you don't have love, you have nothing. Ministry can become an idol. You can fly around the world trying to save the world and lose your own family because ministry became your new idol. These are idols that I've had to bury under the tree. Now, the thing about idols is they tend to dig their way out. <laughs> it's a constant process of burying idols that want to dig their way out. So when he says at the very end in verse 21, keep yourself from idols. He doesn't say keep idols from you. He says, keep yourself from them. It speaks of almost as they're hunting you. You got to bury them. They're going to dig themselves back out again. You got to bury them again. And that word keep in the Greek is a word that you would use in the same way that if you were keeping a family heirloom that was very valuable to you. If you were keeping the family uh, grandma's silver, right? You're going to keep it in a safe place. You're going to protect it. Keep yourself from idols. Protect the asset, so to speak. Protect yourself from the idol that wants to come after you. It's on you to keep you from idols. And it's a daily journey. And if you feel shame and guilt, that's not the Holy Spirit. Remember, what is the gospel? Shame off you, not shame on you. So if you're feeling shame, you can reject that immediately. But if you're feeling convicted of the Holy Spirit tonight, welcome that with open arms and get out your spiritual shovels and go to the cross, so to speak, and bury that at the foot of the cross. Because only one God, the true God, can bear the weight of your needs, can bear the weight of your sin, can forgive you. Everything else is something you can't take with you. It can't love you. It can't love you back. It can't protect you. It can't fix you. It can only kill you. That's why God hates it. That's why we gotta keep ourselves from it. God has such an amazing life for you and for me. If we'll put him as our ultimate, he'll, he'll move in ways in your life and in your heart. It's what he means when he says, my burden, right, is light. My yoke is easy. We're not walking around with a knapsack full of idols in the back and a backpack that weigh like 100 pounds. No, 
you're walking around with Jesus and he's carrying all of that weight for you because he carried it on the cross. Stand to your feet. I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, oh, we repent of the idolatry that we've had in our lives, recognizing what it is. Some of us didn't even know till tonight what it meant. So you, Lord, begin to show us very specifically, very practically what those idols are and where we can do with them under the tree. Thank you for your kindness to Jacob. Thank you for your kindness to us. Your goodness and your mercy truly do last forever. You're so good to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.